So glad that you guys made it on time today. Time change Sunday is always a blast, right? And uh, don't mind the people that are going to come in in about 45 minutes thinking they're early. Uh, just let them come on in. Welcome them, right? We've been talking about Christianity 101. <clears throat> and uh, we're talking about what it really means to be a Christian. If you had a course like that in college, it was probably a dry, historical kind of thing that just talked about some ancient history. That's not what Christianity 101 really is. What it is, is abundant life. What it is, is something that's so exciting that you can hardly get your mind around it. And we're talking about life change happening. What we learned a few weeks ago is that when we stepped into this journey with Christ, for those of us who have full out, accepted what he did on the cross for us and moved into that, we became a whole new creation. And the word new in Greek for new creation is one something never heard of before, something never seen in the history of mankind. It's God's plan for the universe to make sons and daughters that are going to walk with him and rule and reign with him forever. And that's who you are. We learned a couple of weeks ago that trials cannot destroy our faith. They only test our faith. Because what trials do, if you are the new creation, they activate in you perseverance and follow through. And you will, at some point, continue to follow through with God if you're truly a believer. We found that a lot of people claim to be believers, but they haven't really stepped in full out. And so they fall away. But those who are true believers who've said, I give all that I am to you, God's not going to let you fall away. So we come today to what I'm going to call the greatest miracle of all. The greatest miracle of all. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the, the great preachers of the last century, said the life of a Christian is a series of miracles. And I believe that. We're getting ready to head out to Nicaragua again with a group. Uh, we've been going there for the last few years. And I'll never forget a couple of years ago when we were there. And <clears throat> Laura had the chance to pray over this little girl by the name of Genesis. She was 10 years old. And she had been born with her lower intestine not working and not connected. And so they had put in a, an ileostomy. And, and she had had that all of her life and had to be real careful. She had ate the special diet. In fact, it was like some liquid stuff most of the time that she drank. She was very small, kind of stunted. And I just remember Laura praying over her and the rest of the group gathered around her. And we didn't realize it at the time, but it just seemed like God was moving in the moment. It, you just kind of sensed it. But later on that day, she told her mother, she said, it was like all of my insides were moving around. And, and she said it was the strangest thing. And then she told her mom, I feel like I need to go to the bathroom. And her mom goes, you know you can't, you can't do that. She goes, I'm pretty sure I need to. And then her mom was telling the story to us later. And she goes, and then out came like a rabbit pellet. It was a miracle. <laughs> the rabbit pellet miracle, I guess you call it. But it was crazy. And then she went in to have this surgery done. And the doctors said, when they looked, they said, you're already connected. We don't know how, how could this be? How could this have happened? And so it was this really cool miracle that happened. And we see those at Community of Faith all the time. We see them, we see God in action as we have the opportunity to pray over you and pray with you and watch what God's doing. 
But you know, those physical miracles, they're going to pass away at some point because all of us are going to die. It doesn't matter how many times you get healed, right? You're going to die at some point because that's just what the Bible says. It's appointed unto mankind once to die. But there's another miracle that we tend to miss because it doesn't happen instantaneously. And it's this miracle that I'm going to talk about today. How do I know about it? Because I'm one of those miracles. If you had asked my wife to write a description of me 25 years ago, and you ask her to write a description of me today, you would look at those two descriptions and you would say, those are two different people. Those are not the same people. 25 years ago, as I was really struggling, I remember at some point getting down on my knees and saying, God, either take me to heaven or do something with me because I'm tired of living like this. And then today, what God has done in those intervening years, it's nothing less than a miracle. It's nothing less than if he, he had given me a new arm or leg from an amputated. It's, it's bigger than that. He made me a, a whole new person. I'm a whole new creation that God has been building and growing and working. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Pull out your sermon notes, if you will. And we're going to look at just a few verses. And we're going to see what God has to say to us in these verses about who we really are. And I think it's a life changer today. So get ready. Buckle your seatbelts. We're going to step into this. Jesus was talking in Matthew 13, 33. You can turn there in your Bible if you want or just look there in your notes. We'll put it up on the screen. It says this. It says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now, that's one of the shortest parables out there. That's a pretty good quick sermon, you know, and then Jesus, amen, and everybody goes home. But nobody got what he's talking about. Do you know what leaven is? It's yeast. It's pretty much the same thing as yeast. And, and so what he's saying is there was this, this woman and she had just a little bit of yeast and a whole lot of bread. And she took that little bit of yeast and kind of warmed it up and mixed it in. And everything changed. Everything changed about the bread. It made all the difference in the world. I noticed... Uh, Last week, a, a young woman, a young girl, actually taking uh, a communion for the very first time. And, and uh, you know, I asked her, I said, how was it? And she said, it was interesting, but Jesus actually tastes horrible. And, and I started laughing, and I said, that's because the bread is unleavened bread. That bread that you get at communion is called unleavened bread. There's no leaven in it there's no yeast in it and, and that's what they had at the Passover of the Jews way back in the Old Testament and that's the same kind of bread that Jesus gave out at the at, at the, the very first Lord's Supper because they were celebrating Passover and so we've carried that tradition down until today unleavened bread now compare what you got there with roadhouse yeast rolls yeah some of you are going I'm leaving right now I'm hungry some of you are going, why can't we have Roadhouse yeast rolls for communion, right? That's the difference that yeast makes, that leaven makes. As you think about that, you begin to get the picture of what Jesus is talking about here. That's what happened with me. 
when I stepped into this journey with Christ and, and, and I'm allowing him to begin to just infuse me with his power. It, it changes everything. But it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen instantaneously. In fact, sometimes it happens so slowly that we hardly notice it. But if you take a snapshot after a quarter of a century, everything has changed. I want you to see the two sides of the miracle, okay, that, have ha- that happened in me that's happening in you if you're a real believer. His side is the first one. He starts the work in us. He starts the work in us. That's what it says in the Bible. In fact, if you look in Philippians 1, 6, look what it says. Paul says this, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. I am certain, I am certain The words there in the Greek, same as in English, would be to be persuaded, to be sure, to be absolutely convinced. Paul is saying, I'm absolutely convinced that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished. And that word finished, epiteleo in Greek, such an interesting word. It means to bring to its full fruition, to bring to its full conclusion, to bring to its complete end. So Paul's not saying, hey, you stepped into this journey with Christ. I sure hope that works out for you. Hey, it's neat that you're, you're, you're walking with Christ and, and you're a believer now. But, you know, I just hope that, that, that ends well for you. He says, I'm convinced that God's going to complete this noble work that he began in you. William Hendrickson says it like this. God is not like men. Men conduct experiments, but God carries out his sure plan he knows what he's doing and he does it well and he's continuing to do it to me that's that's really an encouragement to us you know sometimes I can get so concerned about you I I I start to worry and and you, you ever heard people say I would go to church but there's just so many hypocrites right Exactly, we're all hypocrites, but God's not finished yet. He's still working on us. In fact, when someone says that to me, you know, I I would go to church. I'm like, well, where are you going to go to church, hypocrite, right? Because we're going to just join the club. We're all going to do this together. And if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll mess it up, you know. But we're all in this together because God's working on us. And I can just enjoy the fact that it's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to have a, a word from him week by week for you, to walk with you and love you, to provide opportunities for you to grow and, and, and in him. But, but it's his job to grow you. He's the one that says he's going to do it. He didn't say, Mark, you do it. Thank the Lord. He does it. What about your kids? Sometimes you can get so concerned for your kids if they've really stepped in to this journey if they're true believers and they really stepped in and they said I want you Jesus with all that I am at some point in their life God's not gonna let go of them he's not gonna stop working he's gonna keep moving and working and doing what he wants to do there's a few things you can get out of this famous verse and that is first of all that God takes the initiative I didn't put that down you can write it down if you want he starts the work in you he began the good work 
in you. I heard about a country preacher who was being uh, checked out for ordination by a, a group of deacons in a traditional church. And so they said, well, tell us about how you can't, you know, how, how, tell us about your salvation. And he said, well, I did my part and God did his part. And that sounded a little questionable to the deacons, you know. So he said, explain that a little bit more. And he goes, well, I did my part. I ran from God like crazy as hard as I could. And God did his part. He chased me down and changed me which is really biblically accurate because did you know that nobody comes to God unless God pulls him? You say, well, I felt like I was, got real interested. You know, I went through a trial or <clears throat> a difficulty in my life and I felt like it was me that kind of decided to start coming to church. No, the Bible is real clear. In fact, Jesus himself said it. No one comes to us unless the Father pulls him, draws him, woos him. So it's always, it starts with God. In fact, God always makes the first move. If there wasn't a first move made by God, there would be no move at all because we wouldn't move his direction. But he pulls at us and he loves us. It's your kindness that brings us to repentance, Lord. The Bible says real clearly, it's, it's what it is. It's him pulling and loving and caring all down through our lives. And if you look back over your life, you can kind of see and sense and know. And some of you are feeling that pull even today. That's why you're here at this early hour. That it's, it's like something's going on and you feel that pull. This is a good, safe place to come and explore that. But I'm telling you, God's going to keep on pulling. He's going to pull you right into the family if you'll let him. He's going to pull you right in because he loves you and he wants relationship with you. Second, God takes responsibility for completing the work in you. We see that in this verse. He says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to finish it. Look at those letters there that I put in your, in your worship folder. P-B-P-G-I-N-F-W-M-Y. What is that? Say, is that some kind of Greek word or something? No. Stands for something. Maybe you've heard it before. It stands for, it's the first letters of, please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. Some of you, you might just want to give that, you know, little phrase, that, those little words, letters to your spouse. God's not finished. Maybe to your friends. I'm still a work in progress. And there's good news and bad news in this. So you want the good news or the bad news first? Good news? All right. The good news is that since God isn't finished, we have a great hope for the future. He's going to make us into all he wants us to be. The bad news is God's not going to stop making us into all he wants us to be, whatever that costs. He's going to chip away at us and make us all that he's dreamed of us being. And a lot of us have a long way to go, and it might be a little painful, but God guarantees the outcome. He will continue until the work is finally finished. What is fi unfinished is going to be finished. What is broken is going to be made whole. What is weak is going to be made strong. What is less than enough is going to be more than adequate. The second thing I want you to see, and I did put this down there, he keeps us from falling. His job, he keeps us from falling. We see that in the book of Jude. It's a tiny little book in the back of the, Old, of the New Testament, and it's written by Jesus' half-brother, Jude. And it's just really like got one little chapter there. But he says this in Jude 1.24. Now all glory to God who is 
able, that word able in the Greek, dunamai, we get the word dynamite from it. It means to be continually, inherently able to keep us from falling. To all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. God's going to do this. Jack Wurtson said, I'm as sure I'll be in heaven as if I'd already been there 10,000 years. And you can say, well, Jack, that's a little cocky, isn't it? But he knows something. He knows that it's not about him. It's about God. You see, it's not like trying to see if your good outweighs your bad. And one day you get to the judgment and you're on this little scale. And, well, you really helped your fellow man, but, oh, you messed up over here. And you did. That's not how Christianity works. It's all God. It's what he did on the cross for us that makes a difference. It's interesting because in that little verse it says he's going to present us without fault. And that, that little phrase, it comes from the temple sacrifices. God said, when you present a little lamb to me as a sacrifice in the Old Testament, God said, I want this lamb to be without blemish, without fault. And that's what Jesus is going to present us to the Father without fault. You say, well, that excludes me because I've got... I've got some sins, and I've got some struggles, and I've got... Now, here's how I look at it. I look at it like this. It's like on that great day, when we stand before God, Jesus is going to say, Father, I want to present to you Mark Shook. Yeah, he's come from a hard struggle on the earth, and, and lots of, uh, of difficulties and trials, and, and, but I want you to know that he trusted in what I did on the cross for him, and my blood covers all of those and so I present him to you without fault or blemish and the father's going to say well done enter into the joy of your master now who did all that Jesus did it Jesus is the one that does it and that's what I, I, I believe that, that God wants to do in all of us there's a good day coming for all of us in the midst of your struggle maybe you've fallen and you're face down in the mud right now. Don't stay there. Just at least turn over on your back and look up to him. And let him begin to pick you up. That's what he wants to do. See, a lot of us, we get this, th this voice from maybe childhood or something. That's not God the Father at all. That when we fall down, he's going, look at you. You just look silly. You're pitiful. That's not God. That's some other voice, some other tape old tape that we're playing because what God's going is like little son of mine little daughter hey get up I got you I still got your hand I see where you are let me clean you up let's go let's gonna we're gonna keep walking we're gonna keep moving that's what God does for us and then I want you to see number three he gives us the tools for change it says in Hebrews chapter 13 verses 20 and 21 now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. The word equip there. It, it means to put back into joint, to restore to proper working order it's it's the word that's used for an army getting ready to go to battle or sewing up a hole in a fishing net or setting an arm that's been broken he's going to equip you 
to do what his purpose for you is. He's going to make sure that you're made whole, that you have what you need to be able to do it. God's going to equip you to do what you need to do today. And he's going to have some things for you to do today. A lot of us, we want to do some great thing for God and some great sacrifice. And, and there will be a time in your life, always once or twice, sometime throughout your life, that probably you will offer a great sacrifice to God. But it's not very often. And when it's time for you to do that, he will equip you to do that. But he equips us every day to do what he's calling us to do. And that's where life change happens. That's where over the years and then the decades, we begin to see this huge miracle unfold that you can almost not notice in the moment. What is the next small right step for you? He's going to equip you to do that. Is it to love your wife? Is it to forgive your ex-husband? What is it? What's the next step? What does it look like? He will do it. He has already equipped you, in fact, to do it. You know, a lot of us look at it, the difficult situation we're in, and I don't know if you're like me, I always say, Lord, change this situation. And sometimes he does that. But you know, the prayer that I know he will always, always answer Lord, grow me so that I can face this difficult situation. So that in the midst of this situation, I can stand. When someone's going through a, a divorce and, and it's so painful and it's so hard and everybody's at fault. Yeah, no one's completely innocent. And I get that. But I've talked to so many people and I, I'll say, for example, I'll say, girl, here's what God wants for you in the midst of this. He wants to hold you and make you strong standing on your own two feet, walking with him, a godly woman going through divorce, not looking for somebody else, not looking for somebody else to, to try to grab hold of, but standing strong on your own two feet as he picks you up and he holds you and he's making you into all that he's dreamed of you being. Will you allow him to do that? Are you going to get bitter? Are you going to try to do this your own way? Are you going to see what God has in mind? Number four, he completes the work. He completes the work. May the God of peace make you holy through and through. May you be kept in soul and mind and body in spotless integrity until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this part. He who calls you is utterly faithful and he will finish what he has set out to do. He who called you is utterly faithful. So who's the one that's faithful? Do you ever stand in front of the mirror like I have in the past and go like, what is wrong with you? Come on, you can do better than this. God knows that. God sees that. But, you know, sometimes it feels like it's, it, it's three steps forward and two steps back. And the whole time, if you could just hear God, he's going, I'm moving. I'm working. I'm not letting go of you. I'm doing this miracle in you. I'm not going to stop this in you. And he's given you what you need to take the next small right step. Sometimes I picture God almost like a, a sculptor working on a piece of marble. And, and, and you know, that marble is Mark Shook. It's me. 
And when I look at that piece of marble, it's not the choice piece of marble by any, I mean, it's got some cracks and, and, and you know, in fact, it's got some faults in some really strange places. You could probably, how are you going to work with that, God, you know? And yet God is always moving and working and chipping away. And he's got a plan in mind. He's got a, a picture in mind. And, and sometimes he'll even finish one little part of the sculpture and come back the next day and look at it and go, what happened? It's messed up again. And I'm, I know, that was me. And what does God do? Well, forget it. I'm done. This is ridiculous. This is already too difficult. No, he doesn't do that. He says, all right, little boy, let's go. And he starts chipping away again. He never gives up. He never stops. He keeps on going. One version says the end of this verse, it just says, he will do it. He's faithful. He will do it. I think that's better than the Nike logo, right? Just do it. He will do it. Do you believe that? See, some of you are having a hard time with that today. But I'm telling you, the one who has pulled you, the one who has wooed you, the one who loves you with all that he is, he's utterly, utterly faithful. He will never, ever stop. Ruth Bell Graham, wife of Billy Graham, saw a sign by the road. It said, end of construction. Thank you for your patience. And she just laughed out loud and she said, that's what I want on my tombstone. End of construction. Thank you for your patience. She died in 2007. And on her tombstone is the Chinese character for righteousness. She was born a child of missionaries in China. And then right beside that, it says that. End of construction. Thank you for your patience. So what is our side? What is our job in the miracle? It's really pretty simple. Are you ready for it? O-B-E-Y. Obey. That's it. I say, I, I've said it like this over and over, and, and it's so good if we can get this ingrained in our mind. Take the next right step. The Bible says it like this. Work out what God has already worked in. All of these things. This is what matters. Look at Philippians 2, 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So you could read that wrong if you just read not very carefully because it says work out your salvation and you could hear it as work for your salvation. That's not what it says. It says work out your salvation. Strabo was uh, a, a Roman somewhere about 60 years or so before Christ and he was writing about some silver mines in Spain that the Romans owned and that they were working and he said we are working out the silver from the mines and he uses the exact same word that Paul used here now think about that because that gives us good insight into what that little Greek word actually means the silver was already there right it had already been there it had been placed in there by God and now the Romans were mining that out moment by moment day by day little by little 
And that's exactly what God is saying. I've put some things in you. You've become a whole new creation. You don't even have any idea who you are yet. You haven't seen just even the glimpse of, uh, of who I've made you to be that I see you as in the spiritual realm. I want you every day to, to mine out who you already are, who I've already placed in, inside, what I've already done for you as I've made you the new creation. And verse 13 says, for it's God who's at work. You need to work it out because God is at work. So who's at work? God. You work, God works. You see, it's all in there together. And it says, both to will and to work. Who gives you the desire to do it? God. Who gives you the ability to do it? God. He does the will and the work. You see all of that in this. And it's interesting that all of these words are plurals in Greek. We're so individualistic in America, and so we think he's telling that to me. And he is, but he's really speaking to all of us as the church. I've put you together as a family, and I've put so much in you, and I want you to mine that out. I want you to make a difference for the world. I want to, to show the world how amazing I am, the miracle I am through my church. Church isn't this building, it's you. Let me just give you an example from Jesus' ministry, how this works. Jesus went into the synagogue, and all of the religious leaders were looking to see if he was going to try to heal, because they had made a rule that if you heal on the Sabbath, that's work, and God said don't work on the Sabbath. God didn't say that. The religious leaders made up a bunch of rules, and that's what religion is, a bunch of rules. God's not about rules, okay? He's about relationship. And so Jesus goes into the synagogue, and he, he sees a man with a hand that's all withered. And he looks at the man, and he looks at the religious leaders, and he knows what they're going to do, but he doesn't care. He looks at the man, and he says, stretch forth your hand. And the man hears the words of Jesus and stretches out his hand, and as he stretches it out, it becomes whole. And that's another reason why the religious leaders wanted to crucify him, because he paid no attention to their rules, if you can imagine. And I imagine you can, because you know people like that. But did you see the miracle that happened? The man had no ability to do that. But God said, do it, and he equipped him. He gave him the ability to do that. But the man still had to stretch out his hand. If he had never stretched out his hand, if he had gone, Jesus, are you making fun of me? Jesus, you know I can't do that. I've had this... My hand's been like this since the day I was born. It, it, it's all withered and drawn up. I can't do that. That's just He would have gone home the same way, right? But he listened to Jesus, and Jesus said, stretch forth your hand. And it's physically impossible, but as he began to move, the next small right step, he stretched out his hand. God did everything else. God does it all. It's really all him. He gets all the glory for it. It doesn't take much for a person to be a Christian, but it does take everything. I was talking to a, a lady not long ago, and she was talking about some issues in her life and how it was costing her so much in, in, in her life to be a believer. And I said, ah, oh, little sister, did you not know it was going to cost you everything? 
You didn't know that when you stepped in. It costs you everything. Oh, he does all the work. Oh, he's the one that makes it happen. But it costs you. You have to say, I know it's going to cost me everything. I give up all my rights. I give up everything that I am. I step into this journey with you. I was drinking my coffee yesterday morning and after I love to drink it out of this little serving cup that comes from Mexico because I think it's a beautiful piece of, of pottery. My wife loves these and so whenever we go to Mexico we always buy some more and, and it's really special to us. And I was drinking, after about the seventh cup something crazy happened. This cup started talking to me. You probably had that happen, right? After seven cups of coffee. And the cup said, I wasn't always a coffee cup. And I said, what? I wasn't always a coffee cup. And I said, no. The cup said, no, I, I used to be red clay. A and then the master got me and, and began to uh, roll me around and, and, and pat me down really hard. And I said, ow, that hurts. Could you stop? Would you stop that? And the master just kind of smiled and said, not yet, little one. And then he put me on this spinning wheel, and, and, and it spun around really fast, and he began to mold me. And, and, and I was getting so dizzy, I said, I said, can I just get off this spinning wheel? And he said, not yet, little one. And then he took me from the spinning wheel, and he set me in an oven. And the oven was so hot. I thought I was going to die in this oven, and, and, and it just was, I was in there for, it seemed like, forever. But I could see the master. He never took his eyes off me. See, I thought he just put me in the oven and forgot, but he didn't. He was right there looking in the whole time. And I was going, I can't do this any longer. I need out of here. And I saw his lips move, and I could read his lips, and he said, not yet, not yet. And then he opened the oven finally pulled me out like oh whoo thank goodness and then the cup said to me but he had no longer he had no he just pulled me out but it immediately almost he began to paint me and poke me and prod me and make designs in me and then he began to paint with colors and I thought I was going to suffocate as he put all the shellac and the paint and everything on me. And I said, I can't handle this. I can't do this. Can I just get out of this? And he said, not yet, little one. And then he put me back in another oven. And if I thought the first one was hot, this one was twice as hot. And just when I knew I couldn't make it anymore. And I said, please get me out. He said, not yet. But in just a moment more, he opened the door. And he pulled me out and he set me down. And then he went and got a mirror and he brought it over. And he showed me myself in the mirror. And I looked and I said, I'm beautiful. I can't believe this. I, I, I'm so amazing. I, wow, look at, look, at, look at this. And he said, you know, when you were just red clay and you asked me to stop rolling you and patting you out. I said, not yet, because if I'd stopped, you would have crumbled. And, and then when I put you on the wheel and began to, to mold you, and, and you said, please, I can't take it anymore. And I said, not yet, because I knew that I wanted you to have shape. And then I put you in the oven, 
And I knew that if you hadn't gone into the oven, even though it hurt me so much to see how much it hurt you, I knew what was happening. And I watched you every second you were in that oven. And it made you strong and hard. And then I pulled you out and I began to cover you with paint. And you thought you were going to suffocate. But I knew that if I didn't, there'd be no color in your life. And then I put you back in the other oven. Twice as hot. The toughest thing you had ever been through. Because I wanted you to last. I knew there had to be a strength about you that lasted. And I pulled you out and here you are. And the cup says, and I said, thank you, Master. Your plan was a good plan. I just didn't realize it. I want you to close your eyes with me for a minute. Are you in the oven? You think he's a million miles away and he doesn't care? I tell you, he's right there. See his lips move? You know what he's saying? You hear him? Not yet, little son of mine. Not yet. Not yet, little daughter of mine. Not yet. I will complete what I started in you. I am utterly faithful. I know what I'm doing. The trial is not for nothing. Something's happening, even in the midst of it. Maybe you just need to say, God, I, I agree. Have your way with me. Make me strong in the midst of this. Make me what you dream of me being. Let me stand, stand strong on my own two feet. I'm going to ask our prayer warriors to come across the front here. Would you come up here? These men and women are just like you, but I've asked them to pray with you at the end of the service because the Bible says when two of you agree as touching anything, it will be done. And I know God wants to do some miracles in you. And maybe you just want to come and pray with these men and women that are just like you, all of us growing and struggling together, and ask for a miracle. Maybe you just want to tell them that you want to just tell God, have your way in the midst of this. Make me strong. I'm going to change my prayer for this trial. Maybe you need to forgive somebody. Maybe you need to pray for your kids. Or there is that physical miracle you want to pray for. That's okay. That's good. More than anything, I want you to think in the long term. Maybe you just need to tell them, I need God to forgive me because I've been so upset and so mad at him not realizing what his plan is. Maybe you want to step into this journey with him for the very first time. They can help you do that. I've asked the band to come and close us with the little song that they sang at the end, There is a Cloud. And as they sing that, what I'm going to ask you to do is let the music just roll over you. You can sing with them. You can trust Jesus in the midst of this. But some of you, you need to come down here to the front. And you need to let these men and women pray with you. Just be obedient. Just do what God's asking you to do. Watch God's miracle come. The endurance will be there. God will enable you to do what he's called you to do. He's saying, not yet, little one. Would you stand? Would you move? Would you come down to the front? Would you sing? Let's obey the Lord right now. Let's do what he's called us to do. Sing over us, band.